Hey everyone out there. Thank you for uh, joining us here on another episode of Light the Fight. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but I don't have any stupid, corny, dumb joke or some sarcastic youngest child remark that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that I could make right now. Um, I'm actually uh, pretty sick. I don't know what I got. I know it's either man virus, because I don't think I have a cold, but some sort of man virus, something that feels life-threatening, but as always, my wife would just get over it in two hours. So I'm not my wife, so it's probably going to take me a little bit longer, multiple days. But what we're going to do today is a little special thing for this episode. Um, Heidi's out of town, and for good for good reason. I think most of you that follow us on social media, most of you that are you know long-term listeners, or if you're a member of our Patreon, um, you'll know that um, this past week has been a very difficult week for Heidi and her family. It's um the uh, the anniversary of that sounds so weird to say the anniversary. It's it's um the date um that Corey died was July 9th. And so next week, um, you know, we'll have Heidi back on here. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like because every year for her is definitely I mean, some of you guys are listening and hearing, you know, like you're watching her grieving process in real time throughout these past three and a half years. So I know that's gonna be a great episode to kind of see what she's learned from this past year because she always has these great epiphanies um after another year goes by. But it doesn't come without a severe hurt and pain, her heart being torn out, and obviously a lot of vulnerability hangovers. So what we're going to do today is we're going to post, um, like we've done a couple times recently, we're going to post a Patreon episode. And um, if you haven't heard about our Patreon episode, uh, if you haven't heard about our Patreon channel, you should check it out. It's www.patreon, or Patreon Light the Fight. What is it again, Brandon? Patreon.com backslash light the fight. And uh, yeah, I really am sick. <laughs> um, and please check it out. Just give it a, give it a look. Um, we got a lot of extra bonus stuff. We're experimenting with some different educational stuff, taking old episodes, giving you new insight and little breakdowns of better details of how to use these tools and this information. And so, and it's just five bucks. So check that out. But what we're going to do today is last week I posted an episode and you'll hear in the very beginning of the episode the details of it, so I won't repeat it and go through it, but just want to let you guys know we're posting an episode from last week on our regular channel, but if you like it and you're interested in it and you want more content like that, feel free to go check out our Patreon because that's where we're doing all the extra after-party type stuff. So thank you guys as always being um, listeners uh, to the podcast and for supporting us on social media, sharing the episodes with your friends, subscribing giving us good content, I mean, content, comments, and most importantly, just for trusting us with our crazy advice and suggestions and trying some of these things and learning from our mistakes and our failures and, and our shortcomings and all the things I've learned from you know decades of working with families and people struggling. So thank you again, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey 
patrons, this is David here. I am coming to you with a very special audio episode of Patreon this week. This episode is going to be, um, well, let's put it this way, veering off the path. So I'm going to call this, uh, I'm doing a little segment in this episode since I'm by myself today, and I'm calling this a confession session. And what I'm going to be confessing is something that has to do with this time of year, more specifically tomorrow, July 9th. Um, so for many of our um, diehard and, and old school listeners, um, you know that uh, on July 9th, 2015, is when uh, Heidi's son, Corey, had passed away from suicide. And that was, um, <clears throat> I mean, ultimately what created this podcast and uh, my relationship with the SWAP family. And for Heidi and I to be inspired to, to do this podcast, you know, about three and a half years ago. And so today I'm going to do something. It's a segment that I used to do on this little radio show I used to have and uh, this podcast I used to do for teens and I call it a confession session. And so what I'm going to be confessing today is not, um, you know, the things I did when I was 16 or 17 years old because I already confessed of those things a long time ago. <laughs> but these are things I'm going to be sharing with you. Um, in fact, just one specific story I'm going to be sharing with you. And this story uh, comes from uh, the book that I'm currently writing, and since it's with all of our Patreon uh, followers out there this episode, just want to let you know that you guys are the only people that are going to hear this right now. We may release this later on on our normal uh, podcast feed, but for now I'm just going to be reading the very first chapter out of my book um, entitled Teens. Uh, the book is uh, scheduled to come out in um, fall of 2029. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it's up to me, it's going to come out in the fall of 2029. Uh, luckily, I think I got a couple people to make sure it comes out a lot sooner than that. To be honest, I'm not sure when the book's going to come out. I'm still working on it, but this is one of the chapters that I do have mostly finished. So before I read this chapter, I want everybody to know that this has not been edited. I is not the smartest person. I are not, you know, really all that intelligent. So. If I bumble, if there's some little miscues, if it doesn't really make that much sense, it's proof that I actually wrote this. This is no ghostwriter. This is your boy Dave right here writing it with all my splendor or lack thereof. So anyways, getting after it, I want to introduce the first chapter of my book, Teens, and um, the new uh, segment. It could be the first or last time doing this segment called confession session when it comes to pain our generation wasn't taught to feel we were taught to conceal our society now has a voice but damn that comes with a tough choice do we use it to criticize and judge or do we use it to connect and to show love with all the fake in the world it's hard to trust what's real we are the fortunate ones but somehow we're still socially ill all I know is connection is the best addiction because it can heal us from our affliction. So take some time to kick back and chill while we lace you with the very best pill. Welcome to the confession session. All right, everybody, I'm about to start reading the chapter in my book called Corey. It's actually the very first chapter of the book. I do have an intro right before it, but I thought it'd be fitting to start the book off with the story of how Corey and I met and um, just everything that took place from my perspective and, and from my experiences 
with um, the passing of Corey. <clears throat> Chapter one, Corey. I said goodbye to my client and gave a quick reminder of what they needed to remember from our conversation. Then like usual, I cracked an inside joke that only they would get. They laughed and cracked another joke back at me as they walked out of the building. I walked back to the lobby, greeted my next client, and told them that I was just going to run to the restroom and I'll be right up. Like always, I checked my phone to see what messages I may have missed. Then I saw a text that read, Hey, my name is Heidi, and you don't know me, but I was given your number by Bryn that cut your hair. I'm having issues with my son, Corey, and I'm in need of some serious help. The text went into great detail about Corey's recent suspension from school and tens of other worries his mom had. At the time, I wasn't wanting to take on another client, but I realized quickly this mom wasn't going to take no for an answer. I was referred to her in the middle of a beauty shop discussion between moms in which Heidi had confessed to her hairstylist and anyone else that could hear what was going on, in her, what was going on with her son. Brynn, the woman that had been cutting my hair for years, chimed in and said, you need to talk to my client, David. Brynn told Heidi all about me, how I help people, my personality, etc. Heidi felt I would be a perfect fit for her son, Corey, so she got my number from Brynn and immediately texted me. We eventually set an appointment to talk and go over the situation. Heidi was definitely one of those moms that cuts through all the small talk and just got right into a laundry list of concerns and frustrations. Then when we were done, she sarcastically wished me luck because she wasn't convinced that Corey would give me a chance because he definitely wasn't excited about being there to see a therapist. About an hour later, Corey and I came out of our session and he turned to her and said, Mom, I decided I want to come back to talk with David. I think he could really help me. And I'm doing this because it's my choice, not because you said you wanted me to come here. Heidi's face had a look of pleasant surprise and disbelief. Even though I could tell she was wondering what happened in there for that hour that caused her son to change his mind and attitude so quickly, she snapped out of her shock and said, okay, well, let's do it. We booked a couple more appointments, and I told her that I wanted to meet with Corey a few more times alone, and then I would talk to her and her husband, Eric, once I had a better read on Corey and his situation. That way I could give them suggestions of things they could do to help Corey get through these tough times. Corey and I really hit it off in that first session. After I gave him my sales pitch and told him that it was his choice to come back or not, and I wasn't going to make him, but I just wanted him to at least hear me out before he made his decision. When I was done, he said that he wanted to come back to see me. Corey commented that I was not what he was expecting at all. He said that he thought I'd be some old dude with a shirt and tie and khakis. And to his surprise, I was wearing Vans, jeans, and a flannel that he said looked like something he would wear. Then when he found out that I skateboarded and I was a surfer from San Diego, he lit up with curiosity because he skates every day. He said he loves the ocean more than anything and believed if he had lived by the beach, he'd be a surfer. After talking that first time, we went from awkward strangers to two people that enjoyed talking to each other. Every session after that got easier for him to open up, even though it was obviously hard for him to talk about his thoughts and feelings. Over the next few months, we discussed everything from family, friends, girls, and not feeling like he could measure up to his older brother that was a standout rugby player. Oddly, we also connected on having an older brother that is a better athlete than us and feeling like we were not the chosen one of our families, but more of the black sheep. I could also relate to him on another serious issue in his life, which was him having a bad concussion earlier that year that really messed him up. He said he felt different for a while after his concussion and was pretty depressed. I had been struggling with concussions throughout my youth, 
And then when I played football in college, I had three concussions in one year. The last one of those three concussions was a snowboarding accident where I hit my head and ended up in a coma for a day. After I got to know most of what had been going on in Corey's life, I was able to start giving suggestions and tools. During this time, I met with his parents and him over the course of a few months. Eventually, his symptoms of depression and his ability to communicate his thoughts and feelings got better. His marijuana use and risk-taking behavior seemed to have settled down, and he was closer to the Corey that they had remembered. This created positive changes in his relationship with his parents. His grades became stable again, and he wasn't in need of weekly sessions with me anymore. Well, a number of months passed by, and I got a text from Heidi that she wanted to bring Corey in again to see me because some of the old issues started to arise again and that she was concerned. This time, he had a girlfriend, and there was tension in their relationship that was causing Corey to not feel confident in himself. So we set up an appointment again for us to go over what was going on. In this appointment, Corey broke down and shared with me that he was really worried about the relationship with him and the girl he was dating. He confessed that he told his mom the night before he hadn't felt like he should be here and maybe things would be better for the girl and others if he wasn't alive. We talked about that and he said that since the night before things had calmed down between them and that he wasn't suicidal, he was just seriously sleep deprived and emotional. His mom came back after that and Corey being vulnerable, he confessed to his mom that he felt that he was a disappointment to her and the family at times. Mom did great in her response and sat with him and shared her true feelings about him. They had the most intimate and vulnerable conversation they'd ever had in a therapy session. Heidi got to see a raw young man that underneath that teen skater was a vulnerable boy who was struggling with self-confidence. They both confessed how much they loved each other and held one another for a while before our session was over. At the end, Corey said he felt better and was happy how his mom responded because he was scared that she was going to be mad for the way he felt. I walked him out and gave Corey a very strong bro hug and reminded him about the teen support group I was holding that next week. And he said that he would come again and give it another chance. I said my goodbyes and told his mom and him I'd see them next week for our next appointment. Two hours later, I was in a session with someone when I noticed that my phone was buzzing from a text in my pocket. Typically, I would just ignore it because I don't look at texts as well with clients. However, something was different about this buzzing. You know when you get one text, you feel a buzz buzz? Two separate buzzes indicate you got one text. But I felt something I'd never felt before. I felt two buzzes about 15 times in a row. In my mind, I thought, what the hell is wrong with my phone? There's no way that I could possibly be receiving 15 texts at the exact same time. This was so odd, I politely apologized to the client and said, excuse me, I've got to check my phone. Something weird is happening. I pulled out my phone and looked at the screen, and the first thing I saw on my phone was a text from my secretary that read, he shot himself in the head. I had no idea what this meant. I only saw that line and my heart dropped and I lost my breath. I saw endless missed texts and more coming through. When I opened the phone, I noticed one of the texts was from Heidi and she said that Corey was headed to the hospital and on life support. This couldn't be real. I had just talked with them and everything ended so well. There must have been some sort of mistake. This couldn't have happened. I frantically grabbed my stuff and apologized to my client and took off to the hospital. When I got to the room, I saw Heidi in the hall on her phone trying to respond to the 500-some texts she had received in 30 minutes. I hugged Heidi, her son Connor, and her daughter Quincy. I can't remember for how long, but I can remember that I didn't say a word for a while. I just held them and did my best to help carry some of their pain, even if it was just for a minute. I braced myself before I went into the room to see Corey. I'm not going to try to explain what I saw, but I will say what I felt. I felt devastation and disbelief. Devastated that this handsome, smart, talented, and beloved young man was at the end of his days, 
and we had no clue what had taken place in the hour and a half since he left my office. The disbelief was overwhelming, and it wasn't just disbelief that this had happened. It was disbelief that I couldn't save him like I had done for so many other teens before. Earlier that day, at approximately 10.30 a.m., I met with another teen client of mine that was severely struggling, and unknown to me, she had a plan to take her life later that day. For some reason, something was off with her that day, and I had an intuition something was going on that she wasn't telling me. After listening to my intuition, I started using my best tricks to get her to open up, and eventually, she admitted her plans to take her life and broke down crying. I called her mom in, and we were able to get her to the psychiatric hospital, and she was admitted safely. I had so many stories like this leading up to that day where I said the right thing by using my experience and relationship with my clients to get them to open up to me when they were suicidal. Every time ended the same. My client was in a dark place, and I said or did something that changed the tide and resulted in them being safe. At this time in my career, I'd been working with suicidal youth since 1998. I'd been charged with the responsibility in keeping well over 2,000 teens safe in that time period and never had a client that I worked with had a successful suicide attempt. I'd gotten a reputation for being the therapist that you took your kid to if nothing else worked. I usually only worked with youth that had multiple therapists before me and multiple hospitalizations. Over the years, I was given credit by countless families for saving their child's life by having some sort of super intuition and secret approach that made every teen open up to me. As thankful as I was to be of help to so many families and teens, I always felt very uncomfortable with these compliments and my reputation because I knew the odds were against me and there was a good chance that I would eventually find out what it was like to lose a young person to suicide. The sheer numbers of youth that I worked with that were struggling with suicidal ideations were too great for me to think that I could save them all from any situation they'd be faced with. I didn't like the pressure that came with my reputation, but I also wasn't about to quit working with teens because I was scared that the day may come where my skills, experience, and luck wouldn't be enough to save a teen's life. Well, on July 9, 2015, that day came, and it was nothing like I had imagined. I never thought one moment I'd be hugging Corey, and the next moment I'd be apologizing to him for not doing more or knowing more to save him. When I first got to the hospital, Eric, Corey's dad, and Colton, Corey's older brother, were not there because they were out of the country on a rugby trip. After jumping through many hoops to get to the hospital as quickly as they could, I ran into them in the parking lot as I was going to my car to leave after I'd been there for a long time. I will never forget the feeling of looking Corey's dad and brother in the eyes at that moment. I felt so much shame and disappointment in myself that I couldn't keep Corey safe, that I feared for a moment, that if Eric was to be mad at me, that I wasn't sure if I could ever help another teen again. However, I was willing to accept whatever emotions and words that Eric felt the need to say to me. I walked right up to him and looked him in the eyes, and before I could muster up any words, he just broke down in tears, and so did I, and we just held each other. I can't remember ever feeling that vulnerable in my whole life, and I could tell at that moment he had never been that vulnerable either. Over the next weeks and months, I was able to help their family, friends, neighbors, and Corey's friends to deal with this shocking death. I was fortunate to have helped many people that had lost a child to suicide to know what families need in regards to support and what they don't need. My friends and neighbors wanted, most friends and neighbors wanted desperately to help Corey's family but had no idea what was the right things to say or do. So I asked a couple that I'd been working with that lost their son to suicide to come to the church and speak to the community to give guidance in how they could best support the family through this tragedy. It was amazing to see this couple take their hurt and pain and turn it into purpose in behalf of this family and their community. I learned a lot that day, and I can recall while listening to my clients as they addressed the congregation that everyone in attendance was blown away on the simplicity of the instructions that this couple gave. 
while at the same time their personal experiences of what helped them through their tragedy was undoubtedly the support of their family and friends. About 200 people were in attendance and they all had the same look on their face. You know that look that someone has of complete confusion and fear of trying to wrap their head around the unimaginable thought of what would they be feeling or doing if this had happened to their own child. I added my two cents in, but it was this brave couple that really silenced the audience with their confident testimony of what needs to be done in order to hold this family up until they have the strength to carry themselves again. Since the swap parents and children were not present at this meeting, it allowed everyone the chance to ask questions and share ideas openly. I can't think of another time in my life where I witnessed hundreds of people so quickly shed any and all assumptions or ideas of what should be done to help the family. And instead, without question, adopted the information ideas of the couple who were speaking. The look of relief on everyone's faces went from scared and confused to a collective look of courage and we got this. This experience hit home for everyone because everyone there was either a teen themselves that knew Corey or a parent that were raising their own kids. No one was the same after Corey's death in that community. It had changed them all. And this experience softened even the hardest hearts. Some people confessed that previously to Corey's death, they might have thought that suicide was selfish or for weak people. That's because Corey was none of those things, and this family was none of those things either. Corey's family was well-liked and respected by everyone, and they crushed any stigma of a family that may have lost a child to suicide. In addition, Corey was charming, handsome, social, and liked by everyone. I knew that Corey's story had changed my life but I had no idea how his death was going to influence my work in the years to come. I was unaware at the time that Corey's death was going to give me the most powerful ally in my constant fight against suicide and anything that robs our youth of their self-worth and confidence. The ally I'm referring to is Corey's mom, Heidi. This book in many ways is Heidi's wish. She has tried many times to get me to write a book or share what I've learned that helps teens and their families. However, each time I would resist the idea, because I hadn't had a lot of success trying to convince people that there are better ways to help our youth. Debating with people about these subjects was not my idea of a good time. I would prefer just sticking to helping people that have been humbled by their circumstances and just want to help their kids get better. I felt too many people took offense to my approaches as if they were a direct threat to what they had spent years preaching. So my attitude after I'd get asked to sit in on professional panels or consult for organizations was, most of these people and institutions weren't interested in hearing my new school, non-traditional ideas that may cause others to question the status quo. I concluded it was a waste of my time, so I decided to just go back to the lab and wait another four or five years to see if anyone will listen to what I have to say then. If I'm being brutally honest, I realized that perhaps more kids would have to die in order for the right people to get involved in coming up with better solutions for our youth. Unfortunately, since Corey's death, many more young people have died, and many families are scared for the safety of their kids. The numbers of youth suicide throughout our country is unbelievable. And with everything going on in our country from COVID, political divide, and civil unrest, the statistics feel more like a slap in the face to show us how much we are failing our youth in meeting their needs. I would like to say I'm thankful for the many people and organizations throughout our country that have worked diligently to improve the mental and emotional well-being of kids and teens. I don't want to take away from their hard work because these are people like myself who are on the front lines. I do not want to complain or criticize their work as if it is their fault for not doing more because the issues surrounding this severe massive suicide epidemic can't be simply viewed as a mental health problem that needs to be treated. It is far more complex than that. I learned that the more complex a problem is, then the simpler the solution needs to be. So I'm going to make it simple for you to understand what is the real issue surrounding our youth dying of suicide at the largest rate and number in the history of our society. 
I'm not suggesting that my explanation of the societal issues of suicide can be explained in its entirety by my definition of the problem, but I believe this definition will allow us to see the problem differently. This might help us have different conversations that can then lead to better ways to solve the many complex problems that lead to young people being depressed, anxious, and suicidal. Then I'm going to provide a couple real solutions that are not just ideas, but things that are happening right now. The solutions that I've created are just a starting point and by no means are the only things needed, but I believe it's a change from the norm that will lead to a huge change in our society. Are you ready? Here it goes. The suicide epidemic, the massive increase in depression, anxiety, self-harm, and many other things that are stopping the youth from meeting their full potential is not a mental health problem. It is a social health problem that has very serious mental health side effects. We have been treating the smoke, not the fire, when it comes to issues crippling our youth. As a country and a society, we have become socially unhealthy. There's plenty of blame to go around, and typically, that's where things break down. There are tons of statistics, tons of finger pointing, and even more people just saying what needs to be done. Then there is a mental health system that is supposed to somehow be in charge of these issues, even though the infrastructure was never built to help support the entire country in preventing and treating these issues on a community, state, and societal level. Not to mention that mental health comes with a stigma that even in 2021 is still very real, despite the efforts of many people to try and break the stigma. What I'm trying to say is that we don't have a system in place for issues our youth are having, so a system is what we need. We are far past individual mental health professionals, hospitals, standalone mom and pop organizations, and movements from being able to stop the trajectory of such massive countrywide issues like youth suicide. We have to create something completely new. It would be unfair to say the system is broken because there's not an actual system that exists to address the social health issues that our youth are facing. So here it goes. I'm about to share with you what 22 years of helping teens has caused me to create and how Corey's story, as tragic as it is, was the catalyst that was needed for me to see the rest of the chessboard so that I could strategically make the right moves without being blocked or denied a seat at the table when it comes to making decisions that affect the lives of teens. After all, I'm just a bastard child that never knew his dad and whose mom didn't want him. I didn't go to a big university and I don't know or associate with people that have influence to make city, state, or countrywide decisions that affect the youth. So who would ever listen to me and take me seriously? I'm just a dude that never even wanted to be a therapist in the first place. Before I get into the details of what I've been doing and how Corey's mom has played such an important partnership in getting this information out to the public, I need to start out by explaining more about my family, personal life experiences, along with stories from working at some of the most challenging places that are supposed to keep teens safe. Then once I've connected all those dots, it'll be easier to understand why I believe we are in need of creating a new system in our country that can support a vital part of our country's long-term survival and success. All right, you guys, so there it is. You've been able to listen to a very rough edited or unedited version of the first chapter of my book. And uh, hopefully you guys liked it. I know that's a very deep personal story for myself and for the Swap family. So for all you Hardcore listeners here on Patreon, really appreciate you being the first people that I could test this out on, and I'd really love to hear your feedback and tell me what you think about this chapter, assuming it's good feedback. If it's not good feedback, please keep it to yourself because I don't know if I could take it. It's such a sensitive subject, I may get a little, make it a little emotional. I'm just kidding. I don't think anyone's going to give bad feedback about this, hence, is, hence part of the reason why I want to share it with you guys here on Patreon because I know... Uh, this is by far the safest place for me to share something that's really personal and something I've been working really hard on. And so I can promise you guys that 
um, I'm going to do my best job on this book and this story and starting out my book this way, I think is uh, fitting to kick it off with this story because it's, it's, it's changed me. It's changed Heidi, but also too, it's really been the catalyst for everything that I'm doing right now from the podcast and also with the high school curriculum. So you guys, thanks again for being here with us here on Patreon for joining us. And if Heidi was here, she would definitely say thank you for helping us to light the fight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.